Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm founder of the Your People Marketing and PR Agency, and I lead the Make Meaning Movement, a platform that helps purpose-driven visionaries and leaders do business with meaning. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of how people dare to take chances to live the life they want with meaningful work and purposeful days. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. This fall, the state of Texas named Eric Hale its Texas Teacher of the Year. In doing so, Eric became the first African-American man to win this designation. Eric Hale is that rare educational leader who is devoted to making a difference by touching the lives of children at crucial times of their development. There are not many male teachers in the elementary years, and even fewer men of color. Becoming a teacher for young children from economically challenged communities was not Eric's first career move, though. He worked in healthcare management and had a very lucrative and impressive executive career before discovering his purpose. I'm so excited to welcome Eric Hale to the Make Meaning Podcast. Eric sure. Hale, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you. And I want to first offer congratulations on being named Texas Teacher of the Year and so many other awards that you've received. It's just a testimony to your decision to make a career pivot in order to live out your purpose. So first of all, congrats. I hope you're really feeling good about that. Yeah, it's, it's been a blessing. I'm extremely excited to represent the state of Texas at the national competition. And when is that? When will, like, what, what happens next with that? In January, they'll announce the total winner. Okay. So for our listeners, we are recording this on the day after the presidential elections. It's a little bit crazy in our country right now. And so you are saying that in December is when it'll be narrowed down and then January you'll have an answer, right? Yes, yes. but the responsibility uh, representing the great state of Texas is a year-long thing. So many speaking engagements, you get to go to the White House, you get to go to D.C. So it's a phenomenal experience. You get enshrined into a special, I guess, kind of like a fraternity of teachers that at one point in time were considered the best in their state. And so uh, America actually keeps track of that. That's incredible. So, you know, before we go forward and talk about other things in your journey, I want to hear a little bit about, you know, what this means to be Texas Teacher of the Year. Like, how did you come to be on the radar of the people making this decision? And then you said, I mean, obviously you're a teacher, so you're you're busy with your day job, but like you say it's a year-long commitment and you're going to have all these obligations. So tell me a little bit about what you'll be doing and and how how they came to you? Uh, basically, uh, through uh, service, keeping my children first. Um, there's a big difference from being a teacher and an educator. And so an educator does his job and then they spend time creating innovative ways to close the gaps, whether that is educational or emotional. Uh, an educator doesn't have to be told how to solve a problem. They get their finger on the pulse of their school community or the community at large, and they're constantly finding ways to improve education as a whole. I know that I'm not the best teacher, but I'm striving to be the most impactful educator in the country. So how are you doing that? Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, man. I really focus on my three A's, which is advocacy, accountability, and action. And I hold all stakeholders to those components. And so through that, I've been able to close so many financial gaps. I raised over $100,000 uh, in the last two and a half years. 
And those funds have been used to close the gap. I've provided technology. I've sent girls to NASA. I've made sure that each child has at least two uh, field trip opportunities that they would not have received mm-hmm. if I wasn't advocating for them and, and bringing money to the school. This year, my goal is to provide a new state-of-the-art playground. I'm going to get uh, prep-style uniforms mm-hmm. for a third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. I'm raising money to do that right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to raise money and get a digital school sign. Every year, I'm, I'm finding things that need to be appro- improved upon that my school doesn't have the funding to do. My school is 99% uh, uh, living below the poverty line. We don't have extra financial resources to do any of those type of things. Hmm. And so it takes, you know, somebody to step up and say that these kids are important enough that they're going to have what the other kids have on the other side of the tracks. That's my niche. So when I think of my impact, I just assume my kids are going to do great on the assessments. Mm-hmm. because I invest in them. Mm-hmm. I build their their educational self-esteem. I wake up at 90, 95% because that's just the expectation <laughs> and the powers of expectation. Uh, on my wall, I have a slogan that says, speak what you seek until you see what you say. So I'm constantly speaking greatness over the children that I serve. So once we get that and we create a shared vision between the business community, uh, the parents, uh, myself and the students, we can do all things. And then I focus on my impact. I'm trying to do things and challenge myself to see if I can lower the crime rate in my area. My school is in the red light district of Dallas. My school has the highest zip code for com- com- convicted uh, sexual predators in all of Dallas. Oh my gosh. Wow. So when you look at the size of Dallas and the size of Texas, if we're in that district, that means that my school is also in one of the worst districts for sexual predators in the nation. And so my little girls are walking past prostitutes. They got to navigate and, 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 really, and really stay focused on the prize at hand. And so I have to bring resources back to the school to expose them to every positive possibility that life has to offer. And so I take that very personal. My goal is to be the most impactful teacher. I've, I've stopped trying to be the best teacher years ago. And once I decided to do that, my scores just improved. Hmm. What was it that um, inspired you to do that? I mean, I want to hear about how you changed careers and chose to become a teacher and what inspired you to do that. But then once you did that, what inspired you to go that extra mile and just throw all of you into it, you know, from every angle, just to give that equity to the students, to give them a, you know, a a leg up at the start. So tell me a little bit about that journey, about um, what your career was before and what made you decide to switch. And then we'll talk about stepping it up to that impact level. Well, I went to college and I'm winging a prayer. I got a degree in organizational leadership. I graduated and I worked jobs. I adopted my niece, my namesake, Erica. And so at 23, I was a single father of a two-year-old trying to figure it out, sadly realizing that part of the American dream was a, was a fallacy. Hmm. Just because I had a, a bachelor's of science degree, there was no great job waiting for, for, for me. Mm-hmm. And so I bounced around 
and then decided to leave Phoenix, Arizona with a little bit of stuff I had in my niece. And I set up roots in Dallas. And so with me having a two-year-old, I said, you know what? I need a career, Mm -hmm. something that my child can be proud of and that I can do consistently. And so I, I did a self-evaluation and said, well, well, they say if you love what you do, you're not working. What do I like to do? And so I like helping less fortunate people because of the background that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. I grew up very less fortunate, not just poor from a monetary standpoint, but poor from an emotional standpoint, because I was dealing with, with traumatic issues uh, going on at home mm-hmm. and in the surrounding that I had. But I have always liked to help people from my tribe or people that are behind the eight ball. And so I said, what better way than for me to be a teacher? And so I decided to switch careers and become a teacher, not for some great teachers that I had that inspired me to be who I, who, who, who I am today, but really out of anger for the great educators that I didn't have. Mm. And so tell people all the time, I'm chasing the ghost of the educators that I needed when I was a child and I didn't receive. Mm -hmm. So it's always at the forefront of my mind how hard it is to make it out of the situation that I made it out of. So I know intimately what it's going to take for the children that I serve to be successful members of the global society. Mm -hmm. And it's my mission to make sure that I give them five-star service. So, um, and how old were you when you decided to make that career switch? At what point in your life? I was 30. So you'd had, you know, a good number of years in the workforce at that point. And I assume you had to go back to school to get certified as a teacher, right? I had to go through a certification program because I already had a degree. Mm-hmm. I had to kind of, I had to take some classes and, and then I had to do a probationary year. So, you know, give or take with my probationary year is about a year and a half process. But so it took me like, you know, three months to get done with the the coursework. And then I, I was able to get a probationary certificate mm-hmm. and um, start interviewing. And then my, your first year, you weren't official until you get signed off on. So you got into your teaching career and then you decided to really ramp things up and not just teach, but educate, as you said, and focus on that impact. Was there something that inspired you to to focus in that direction and to really um, sort of level up with what you were doing? Yeah, because cookie cutter education is not working anymore. You 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 cannot educate the masses with a playbook that was designed for just one demographic of the population. Mm-hmm. You we can't keep teaching with twentieth century understanding for 21st century learners. And public education, sadly, is behind the curve. Every other field has adapted with the times, has evolved. Education is struggling to do that. And so I reimagine what an educator looks like. And I work on that every day to provide the best service I can for the children that I serve. Interesting, because I know I did a lot of research before this interview, and there are a lot of articles about you being named Texas Teacher of the Year, and many of them focus on how you are the first African-American man to be named this title. And, you know, I, I felt I felt a lot of conflicting emotions reading it, because on the one hand, I thought, that's amazing. And thank God, finally, you know, people from different populations are being recognized for their brilliance and their leadership. But then I thought, you know, we're in the year 2020. And like, 
this is the first time that an African-American man is named Texas Teacher of the Year. So it sort of made me angry. Like, what took so long, you know? And so I just wonder how you feel about that. If it's, you know, a blessing and a curse, if it's just sort of what it is, or is this saying something about how we're making progress toward equity and inclusion, or we still have a long way to go? Well, I do believe that I'm the first to be recognized for this award, but, but surely I'm not the first that deserved it. Sure. Sadly, there were systems at play that blocked a lot of great African-American male educators that never even got voted the teacher of the year for their school, mm-hmm. let alone the district, let alone their region, and of course, let alone for the state. I don't even know if there's been a African-American male be a finalist in the state's history. So I will leave it up to the listeners to decide if that shows progress or how they feel about that. I won't speak on that. What I will say is if you look at my body of work, it had to be me. I've been consistently going above and beyond for the children that I serve for at least seven years. I've been recognized nationally twice, winning the National Urban School Teacher of the Year last year. I was a finalist for the Fishman Prize in 2015. I'm rated a master teacher in the state of Texas. I was honored by the governor. I've raised money, but most importantly, I've cared And I've changed the culture and the view of what an educator who teaches in the classroom should be and could be. So I'm very humbled by the crown. But I know the way society is set up that how I conduct myself will be the difference if there's another winner in three years or another winner in 30 years. That is what African-Americans call the black tax. I represent my whole culture. And I accept that challenge and I'm going to work hard to do the best I can to make all educators look good, especially the ones that happen to be African-American males. And, you know, that brings up some really important points. There's like so much to unpack about it, because what I'm hearing you say is that you're this incredible teacher and this incredible person. And like, I don't know you, I'm just interviewing you on the podcast, but I want, I just want people to recognize your contribution. You know what I mean? And I know that systemic racism has created barriers and walls for so many people to just go unrecognized in the wonderful work that they do. And so it's great that that's, that hopefully we're chipping away at the walls, but, um, but I hear that as just your integrity and your dedication, you know, and the other thing that, that this brings up to um, we've had some recent interviews that have focused on how there's a lack of, first of all, male teachers, especially in the elementary years, mostly a lot of male teachers are in middle school and high school And then there are even fewer male teachers of color. And so it's like, there's so much riding on it in a way because you want children to see themselves in their teachers and, and have these wonderful teachers as role models. And so it's, it's like, we have to, we have to level the playing field for teachers and really, you know, encourage people from all communities to step up and become those role models for especially young children. So I'd I'd love to hear how you chose to be a a teacher for the younger grades as opposed to at the middle school or high school level. What what motivated that? Well, the reason why I I teach where I teach is so important is I'm attacking the need. Poverty and traumatic experiences, they don't wait to hit kids of color at 13, 14, 15. Those social ills hit children that I serve at one, two, three. They are born into it. I believe that some of the brightest minds come from the darkest places. 
They need to see me as soon as possible. Mr. Hale will be anything to you but your friend. I'll be your father, your role model, your advocate, your social worker, your psychologist. I will do everything I can to make sure that you are successful. But kids in the inner city, a high number of them don't have one positive male role model in their life right now. It's too late for them to see me in middle school. I'm building relationships with these young kids in first and second grade so I can still be a resource for them while they're in middle school. So I know that they need to see me now. And so it's just my niche. And I know the importance of raising them up the right way, letting them have a role model, letting them see how they should conduct themselves as a kid of color or as a kid fighting the social ill of poverty. All kids. There's this big misconception that, oh, we need more black male educators in the black schools. I'm part of a study called the Opportunity Myth that was given by uh, the New Teacher Project. Actually, the numbers in the study shows that all kids have a better shot at graduating from college when they have an African-American teacher at least once in their elementary school days. So I'm good for all students. I'm like nutritional, regardless of race or color. That makes a lot of sense. And I mean, it's it's about impacting the kids, like you said, and, and being there for them so that they have another choice, they have another path. And so I was learning about the Dallas Independent School District. And I read that it's the top urban school district in America right now. Yes. So I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about it and what helped it to rise to the top in that designation and perhaps, you know, what other school districts and educators around the country can learn from what you're doing in Dallas. Well, in Dallas, we've really tried hard to put the kids first. So even through this pandemic, all summer long, we provided food because we know we have children that parents can only provide one good meal because they know that the school provides breakfast and lunch. So we continue to do that and meet the needs of the students that we serve. Next, we worked real hard to close the digital divide, providing uh, uh, technology, one-to-one technology to the kids that we serve. Then we came up with a great way to pay the best teachers, what they're worth. And with the cost of living being being so relatively low in Dallas mm-hmm. and the opportunities to make great money as a teacher and get paid what you're worth, mm-hmm. we're able to attract some of the best teachers who want to come and be a part of DISD that are coming from other states where teachers are underpaid and undervalued. Next, innovation. We really have some good people in place that are doing some really, really innovative things in regards to close the student achievement gap and give all children a chance to be great. Uh, it doesn't hurt that I'm with the district. Um, I'm you know, currently the National Urban School Teacher of the Year until they pick somebody new. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, you know, I, I've helped out a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, currently, uh, our superintendent, uh, 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 we call him Doc, but uh, Dr. Hinojosa, he was just awarded the number one superintendent in all of America. Oh my gosh, that's great. Yeah, so in in, in the greater schools uh, system uh, that, that does those awards, we went back to that. So last year I won the National Urban School Teacher of, of America. And then this year he won the National uh, Urban School Superintendent. It flip-flops. Uh-huh. I guess you get like a two-year term. So okay. Okay. next year they'll, they'll replace me with another teacher for the... Okay. Urban School Teacher of the Year. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you know, this this podcast focuses on how people can find meaning in work and purpose in life. 
And I wondered if you feel like when you're living and working in alignment with your meaning and purpose, you know, everything just falls into place. Like when you find your path and for you, maybe that was becoming a teacher or taking this focus on impact that it just works. And that's when the awards come you're not doing it for the awards. You're doing it because it's the, it, it really speaks to your soul, but because it does, the impact is profound. You know, what, how do you feel about that? For me, my pain pointed me to my purpose and I walk in my purpose with passion. And through that passion, I've been able to make a powerful difference in the lives of my school community and the students in the great state of Texas. So I would tell people, don't shy away from your previous pain, because a lot of times it's going to be that pain, that struggle, that's going to point you to your greatest success. You know, I always ask my guests to offer some advice for our listeners about how they can discover their meaning and purpose and then put it to work for them. And I think nobody has offered that before, you know, to that to really look at your pain as your source for purpose. That's great. I love that. Would you have other advice that you might offer our listeners in the way of finding their purpose and living by it? Don't be scared to fail. Don't be scared to stand alone with just your shadow of integrity. Because when you're on the path of greatness, there's a lot of lonely valleys. Everybody loves it when you're on top, but it's very lonely finding your way. And everybody has their own, some kind of special, some kind of purpose that they're putting here on this earth to do for the betterment of mankind. It's your job to be a seeker of that. I think that's great advice. I really appreciate that. So before we finish, I just wanted to ask you what your vision is for a better educational landscape for American children. Do you have sort of a sense of what we really need that we don't have now? We don't have buy-in from every demographic in America, from the students to the administrators to the policymakers. Everybody has some, some something positive to give. We need more representation of people who bring different skill sets and different knowledge levels to the table, right? We've been making the same stew in American public school education for a hundred years. It's time to add some new ingredients. Well, I hope that happens. I really do. I wonder if you know of any resources for our listeners, if they'd like to get involved, if they'd like to help in some way um, to, to create that equity for children who are in more challenged districts. If it may not even be their district or their state, but they can contribute in some way, is there any any direction that we could give to our listeners so that they could get involved? Yeah. You don't got to recreate the wheel. Everybody knows the wrong side of town, the wrong side of the tracks. Locate the schools that are on that side of the tracks. Introduce yourself. Allow your talent to be used as a resource to help those children because all children can learn and all children deserve the right to a phenomenal education. Not fair, not okay, phenomenal. Well, on that note, I'd like to thank you, Eric Hale, Texas Teacher of the Year, for being a guest on the Make Meaning Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for even the opportunity to talk to your listeners. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.